Pastor Daniel began working on ministry at Bethany Community Church during his sabbatical from Bethany Baptist in October and November of 2007. Prior to that, he had been at Bethany Baptist Church since August of 2000 as youth pastor and family pastor. He completed his undergraduate work at the University of Texas at Dallas in 1999 and majored in literary studies and historical studies. In 2004, he earned his Master's of Divinity from Moody Bible Institute. He finishes his doctorate in ministry and expository preaching at Southern Seminary in May of 2011. He is also the author of A Passion for the Fatherless, a book that is designed to help the church engage in God-centered orphan care ministry. And I would, I would just add to that, he has spent time uh, with us as elders talking about some of those things and encouraging us in those things. Uh, so I appreciate uh, my dear brother and his heart uh, for, for the orphan. Daniel and his wife, Whitney, who is here this morning as well, their four children, Hannah, Austin, Noah, and Ellie. In addition to pastoral work, Daniel enjoys spending time with his family, date night with his wife, reading, swimming, biking, and running. That sounds like a triathlete. Are you, brother? No. Kind of. Okay. All right. He is also a dear, dear friend and a great encouragement uh, to our teaching pastor, uh, Pastor Jason. Um, pastor Daniel, come and share what the Lord has laid on your heart this morning. Well, greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Bethany Community Church. Uh, we love your church. And we pray for you often, as I know that you pray for us as well. Uh, and I, I love uh, so many of you and have had the opportunity to be in relationship with you. And, and I, love, I love Jason. I love pa- Pastor Jason a great deal. And uh, it's a, a joy to get to be able to be in ministry uh, with him and seeing what God is doing through him at, at this assembly. And I, I love the fact that you guys love Jason as well and have uh, done such a good job in, in taking care of him and have provided him with this time uh, of sabbatical. I know that it's a, a tough time for many of us in the different things that God has called us to do, and that includes the pastoral ministry. It can be very difficult right now to, to be in pastoral ministry, as you know. And so I think that God is just really going to bless churches that, that do a good job of loving their shepherds. And so uh, I love your shepherd, and I know you do too, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful uh, for the fact that, that you're taking such a good uh, job uh, loving on him. The bad news is he's not here today, and uh, I'm, I'm here. That's good news for my church, though, as well, as they kind of get a little break uh, from me. But I'm excited to be able to open God's word with you. We're in Acts, and so if you turn to Acts chapter 15 with me, uh, my church is is going through the book of Acts, and so we have been kind of slowly working our way uh, through this book. Uh, My son asked me last night, how much longer, Dad, are you going to be in the book of Acts? Are you going to finish it before you go on sabbatical? We're getting ready to go on sabbatical for our third time uh, in 21 years, and in a few months I said, no. And he said, I'm not surprised. But we are, uh, we're in the book of Acts, and, and our church has found this to be a, a great time to be going through the book of Acts because 
there are a lot of things in the book of Acts that remind us in a tumultuous time what our, our ultimate purpose and, and goal is as a church. It can help us to, to not be sidetracked by all the, the things going on in the culture around us and say, okay, what is it ultimately that God has called us as a church to be about, to focus on, to do? And here in Acts chapter 16, we see uh, two conflicts. The chapter begins with a conflict. Sorry, Acts 15, it begins with a conflict and it ends with a conflict. And I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and give us a little bit of context this morning as we get ready to look at the end of the chapter. I'm going to give us a little bit of context and read a little bit earlier in the chapter. And so uh, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, I'm going to start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 15. This is right after Paul and Barnabas have completed the first missionary journey. They've been in southern Galatia. They've proclaimed the gospel, they've endured persecution, and they've established elders and shepherds in the church. And then we come to the beginning of verse 1. They're in Antioch. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the back of the disciples that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related with signs, they they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Then he quotes the prophets. Let me go down a little bit. He says then, therefore, my judgment, verse 8 is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And we'll skip down to the the portion of the text we're looking at together this morning. They agree with this and they, they send out this letter. And we come down to verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and settled uh, and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You may be seated. And God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And Father, as we do turn our hearts to consider the words of your text more carefully, I thank you for this assembly. I thank you for this, this church, this, this group of believers who love you. Uh, who love one another. And I, I pray, I, I don't know all the things that are going on in the, the lives of, of your saints here, but I, I pray that by your grace, you would help us pursue unity. You would help us to, in our, our trust in you, to, to prefer one another above ourselves and to, to be firm in our beliefs and our convictions that are grounded upon your word, to be, to be humble in the things that we don't know. I pray that you give us just grace as we seek to honor and glorify you in our ministries. We pray for, for Jason and Amber, for their, their family, and I thank you for his friendship, for his shepherding of me, and just his faithful uh, words to me during, during tough times. And I, I pray that you just bless them as they uh, continue to consider uh, your call on them and they continue to be strengthened and, and rejuvenated for the work that you have for them here in this place. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, as I mentioned, at Bethany Community Church, we have been in the book of Acts, and as we've come to this section in the book of Acts, we've kind of been thinking about, and in some other sections as well, we've been thinking about the types of disagreements that believers can have. So, remember, at at the beginning of this chapter, you have a a disagreement about the gospel, and then at the end of this chapter, you have a, a, a much different type of disagreement, a disagreement about philosophy of ministry. So as we've been going through the book of Acts, it's, it's been a very appropriate time as, as we've thought about the, the different types of dif- disagreements that believers can have and how sometimes the disagreements that believers can have are what you might call tier one issues. So, so these are issues about the gospel. It's a situation where someone is, is adding to the gospel or something is, someone's taking away something from the gospel. Or you might have a person who is encouraging someone to live a life in contradiction to the gospel. And so when it comes to a tier one issue, what do you do? You have to stand firm. You can't compromise. There's no ability to say, well, you know what? You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. And we'll just kind of continue to be in relationship with one another. You can't do that. And that's why at the beginning of Acts 15, as it comes to this issue of circumcision and telling the the new believers that are Gentiles saying, look, if you really want to be in a relationship with God, you have to be circumcised. Paul and Barnabas are, are not going to have any of that. They have to remain firm on the gospel. So that's tier one issue. You, you, you can't have disagreement there and still call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've also, at Bethany Community Church, kind of talked about tier, what you might call tier three issues. So, these are issues that are just issues of, of conscience or, or preference, and, and they can be important, but we can, in most cases, prefer one another. So you have this opinion, I have this opinion, 
it's not all that important so in, in terms of, of how we do church. So I'm going to, to the best of my ability, prefer you or allow you to exercise your conscience in whatever area that we're, we have a difference of opinion on. And that's, that's somewhat easy to at least intellectually think about, right? It's hard sometimes to apply it, but, but it's easy to, to understand what that looks like. But the, this morning, we're kind of talking about, about what you might call a, a tier two issue. Here, we're talking about believers that both love the Lord and are committed to walking in obedience to God. But as they make that commitment, there's, there's this difference of understanding about how they might best do that. So one believer is committed, is committed to doing this to walk in obedience to the Lord. Another believer says, well, I believe that I need to do this to walk in obedience to the Lord. And we can't simultaneously do both things. It's like, I think about my relationship with, with this church. I I could very easily uh, come and and worship here and and be a member at at fellowship Bible church. We are, we are on the same page, big doctrines. We are on the same page, second tier. We're on the same, I think we're on the same page, most third tier issues. You have more beards than we do in leadership, but I don't, that's just because I can't grow a beard. Uh, I'm very jealous of Jace. I mean, so there's no real, I'd have no problem coming here and, and, and worshiping and being a member of Fellowship Bible. It'd be very, very easy. But there, there are some churches in the area where I'd say, you know what? I, I believe that these brothers and sisters are brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe they love the gospel. I believe they love each other. But on a practical level, we, we couldn't do fellowship together. Maybe it's the issue of, of believer's baptism versus infant baptism. You, you can't simultaneously say we must baptize our babies and at the same time say we can only baptize people who've made credible professions of faith. It's just practically it's going to be very difficult in the same church context in terms of leadership. So... What do, what do you do? How, how do you think about these, these second-tier level issues? How, how do you handle that? It, it's very difficult because I can't just prefer you. And, and I know that we're both people who love the Lord. How do we think about these second-tier type disagreements? And how do we, we, how do we respond to those in a way that honors and glorifies God? The sad reality is that due to our, our finite understanding of scripture and our finite ability to apply scripture perfectly, these types of disagreements are going to take place. Uh, it was your pastor, Jason, who told me about a book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. I don't know if he's quoted it here on Sunday mornings or not, but in the book, Gavin Ortland mentions that, that some of these differences can be quite difficult. He writes this, he says, uh, sometimes differences lead to practical differences in how we do church and or ministry such that attempting formal unity amid our different convictions will often lead to divisiveness, confusion, violations of conscience. And for these reasons, it is understandable and appropriate, though ultimately regrettable, that Christians sometimes divide over these issues in certain contexts. And he says, when these things take place, uh, it's, it's sad. And he says, as he writes these things, he says his, his desire is to encourage us toward prayer, humility, and study. And that would be my goal in our time together this morning as well. As we think about these things, it would drive us to prayer, humility, 
and study. Because we're talking about two men in this chapter, Barnabas and Paul, who are incredible ambassadors of the gospel. And if Barnabas and Paul, two incredibly gifted and godly men, can, can come to a point where they have to part ways, that this can happen to you and I as well. And what I want us to see, kind of the main idea, if you're a person who takes notes, this is kind of the main idea that I'd have you write down as we think about what I want us to, to get out of this, this text, is that God is going to be glorified. God is going to be glorified, and his church is going to be strengthened as we persevere in faithfulness, even in the midst of disagreements with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the good news is that God is going to be glorified. God's church is going to be strengthened as we persevere in faithfulness, even in the midst of disagreements with our brothers and sisters. And so we're going to look at some characteristics, five characteristics of these types of disagreements that I hope will help us have greater humility, drive us to prayer, help us to ask God to preserve his church as we seek to love one another and seek to be faithful in what God has called us to do in his word. So let's, let's talk about some of these things. Here's the first thing that I want us to see about these types of what you might call second-tier level disagreements that we see here in Acts chapter 15. Number one, notice this. These disagreements, these types of disagreements, occur among believers who share a common goal. Okay, What we're talking about here is, is not disagreements among believers who have two wildly different understandings of the Christian life. We're talking about disagreements, and this, and this is what kind of makes it hard, and gives us hope, these types of disagreements are occurring between believers who share a common goal. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are rock solid in their commitment to Acts 1-8. They have a desire to proclaim Jesus Christ, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. That, that drives both of them. In fact, look at the text with me if you would, verse 36. It says that after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are to, to, to check in on them. So what, what's happening here is, is remember Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. They had sailed from Antioch, the church in Antioch to the island of Cyprus. It was Paul, Barnabas and John Mark. And then they had sailed from Cyprus to kind of the kind of southern modern-day Turkey, the southern Galatia region. And as they began that part of the journey, remember what happened? John Mark leaves. Luke doesn't give us a lot of details about why he left, but for, for whatever reason, he abandoned the ministry and he goes back to Jerusalem. And as Paul and Barnabas continued on their missionary journey, they traveled through the southern Galatian region, they proclaimed the gospel, they encountered persecution, they went back and established churches in those communities of faith where people would respond to the gospel, and then they came back to Antioch. Now, Paul looks at Barnabas, and as they're talking, he says, you know what we should do, Barnabas? We should go back and and check in on these churches and see how they're holding up, see how, how well they're doing, if they're holding fast. This is, the, this is a mark of a good shepherd. And both Paul and Barnabas have a desire to be good shepherds. A good shepherd checks in and sees how the flock is doing. Uh, as Steve mentioned, my wife and I have four children. And uh, our, our children, our youngest is now 15. So they're kind of entering that, that stage where they don't really have a desire for mom and dad to check in on them that often. 
And so we have two that are actually in college now, and, and both of them kind of have the opinion like, hey, I, I'm in college, I should have a, you don't need to know where I am. You don't, and I say, no, 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 that's, that's fine. Just let's put this app on your phone and, uh, you know, we'll just see how it goes. You know, if you're in a ditch somewhere, I'll, I'll call someone for you if that's okay. We, we called our daughter uh, like a, a week and a half ago or so, and we, we, we wanted to check in. She's down in Texas. And I'm going to check in and see how she's doing. And it was one of those situations where every sentence she said made us more concerned about how she was doing. Right? <laughs> like, uh, she was in a hurry. So I said, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It's just, you know, my knee. And I missed my appointment. I, what, what's wrong with your knee? Uh, oh, just an injury. Don't worry about it. I've been so sick, I haven't even thought about it. Oh, you're sick. Uh, I did not know you were sick. Yeah, I've been sick for days now. But, you know, with all the, 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 the schedule of the school, I haven't even had time to be sick. You know, with all this, the stress of that going on, I, I didn't know about that either. And so every sentence she's saying, we're like, oh, oh dear, oh, dear. And then she goes, oh, 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 I got to go, got to go, got to go. Oh, no. Click, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to check in on her, see how she's doing. You know, a good parent has, has this, this sense of, okay, how's, how's my child doing? And she's fine. She called us a couple days later, and she just, there's a busy stretch of, of life. Paul and Barnabas are concerned about their spiritual kids. Remember what's happened on the first missionary journey? They've, they've gone to these places, and the places they've gone to, they encountered persecution. So they would stab, they'd preach the gospel, and oftentimes the Jews in the surrounding regions or in that region would, would stir up the Gentiles and some other Jews. And so as people responded to the gospel, the, the Jews would become jealous, and they would, they would stir up people. And the, Paul and Barnabas encountered some terrible persecution. At Lystra, they left Paul for dead. And so now Paul, is, as he's gone back through these, these areas, and they, they've left... Paul and Barnabas are talking, wonder, I wonder how these churches have, have held up in the midst of persecution. There, there's also some doctrinal concerns that Paul has. Remember, uh, he's written the book of Galatians kind of at the beginning of Acts 15, and he's written that in response to some Judaizers who've gone through this region and, and done the same thing that the, the church uh, is experiencing in Antioch of Judaizers coming in and saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law. And so Paul and Barnabas look at each other and they say, okay, I, I wonder how our spiritual children in these regions are doing. We need to check in on them. Paul and Barnabas, the thing I want you to see here, this disagreement that's going to happen between these two isn't a, a disagreement between two people who have wildly different understandings of what their task is. They both have a desire to, to check in on these churches and to encourage them in the faith. They both have an unwavering commitment to God and his glory. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is, as we think about the reality that we're going to encounter these types of disagreements, is that having an unwavering commitment to God and his glory is going to serve as like guardrails on your life. You and I, again, because we are finite beings and don't have a perfect understanding of God's word, the, the problem isn't God's word, it's us. We are not going to always apply God's word perfectly. And sometimes, as I have a conviction about how I need to walk in obedience to God and his word, and you have a conviction about how to walk in obedience to God and his word, and they come into conflict with one another, we're going to have to go different ways. But a common commitment and passion for God and his glory is going to be guardrails that help us in that relationship honor one another and ultimately honor God. Paul, in Philippians 
1 would talk about how he's, he's confident. He's confident that if you boiled his, his life down to one sentence, it's for, for me to live as Christ. And because he has that confidence that that's the purpose of his life, he says this in Philippians 1.25. He says, convinced of this, confident of this, that for me to live as Christ, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, Paul says, I know that if I live, what's going to happen is it's going to be for your benefit. You're going to progress in your joy in the faith. That's going to continue to happen. First thing I want you to see, these disagreements, these disagreements we're talking about occur between believers who share a common goal. Those things must be our ultimate goal. Here's the second thing I want you to see about these disagreements. Number two, these disagreements occur between believers who have biblically informed but incompatible understandings of how to achieve that common goal. Let me, let me say it again. I think this is on the back of your bulletin if you uh, want to just write down a couple blanks instead of a long sentence. But here's, here's the second thing. These disagreements occur between believers who have biblically informed but incompatible understandings of how to achieve that common goal. Now, when I say biblically informed, I don't mean perfect understanding. But you're talking about believers, when they come to a disagreement, they have a common goal, and they say, okay, our, our, both of our understandings are biblically informed. Like we're, God's word is our authority, and we're attempting to apply it in our lives. But the, the, where we're arriving is, is incompatible with, with where the other person is. You can imagine Paul and Barnabas here. It says, look at the text. It says, now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. So that's, that's his desire. And Paul thinks it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so you can imagine the conversation that Paul and Barnabas have with one another. And, and both of them are able to say some very biblical things as they talk about why they are convinced that their position is the right position. Barnabas could look at Paul, and Barnabas could say to Paul, Paul, look, I agree with you. John Mark messed up. He made a, he made a, a bad decision here, and it was tough on us. We went through this, this terrible ordeal, and John Mark had nothing of it. And, and you and I think about what, what, you, what we endured. You were almost stoned to death. I mean, it was just a, a terrible thing. John Mark wasn't there, and, and you're right. But I read that letter you wrote to the Galatian churches. And remember what you said in that letter. You said, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, do what? Restore such a one in gentleness. And Barnabas might look at Paul and say, Paul, let's, let's restore John Mark. This, guy's, this guy is the real deal. He's a good man who made a bad decision. Let's restore him. And, and Paul could look at Barnabas and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not about restoration. This isn't about forgiveness. I forgive him. I want him restored to ministry, but this is not the ministry for him. He, he's proven that, that this type of ministry is, is not what he's cut out for. And of, of course, I, I care for him. But, and, and Paul might have talked about, remember, they've just established some churches. I don't know what kind of special revelation Paul had at this point. But Paul could have said, remember, as we established these, these churches, what God told us about the type of of leader that needs to be a, a pastor teacher and, I, and, and, and establishing other pastor teachers, this guy hasn't proven himself faithful. Love him, care about him, but this is not the right ministry for John, also called Mark. Both of them had some, some biblical basis for their 
position. It's, it's interesting. As, as you read commentaries and you say, okay, well, who was right? That's kind of the question we always want to ask, right? Well, who was right? I don't know, I don't know who, who won the argument. It's kind of interesting. There's, there's three kind of takes on this. Some people say Barnabas was right. Say, well, Barnabas was right because, and we'll talk about this later, John Mark proves to be youth, useful in ministry. Some people say, no, P- Paul was right. Paul was right in this, in this disagreement because of some of the language that Luke uses here. And then also um, just the, the fact that the church, at the end of the chapter, the church commends Paul and, and uh, Silas. So maybe that means that, that Paul was right. Some people say, impossible to know. It's impo- you can't know. I, I, think, uh, I think I'm mostly impossible to know. You know I either say Paul or impossible to know. Uh, the inability, though, to determine for sure the answer to that question reveals this truly is a situation where believers are dealing with a finite ability to perfectly apply God's word. That's not God's word's fault. It's our own lack of complete understanding of how to live life. But here are the encouragements that I would give to you. It's inevitable that good Christians are going to disagree based upon their understanding of Scripture and how to be obedient. So my encouragement would, would be this. Number one. Strive for biblical convictions, right? As much as is possible. Make sure that the convictions we have are not based on our tradition, our family situation. We're not being driven by what our emotions kind of want to be true. But as much as possible, when we disagree with someone who's a godly person, let's go to God's word and ask ourselves, okay, am I, am I confident that what my disagreement here is being driven by my desire to be biblical and be in obedience to God? And then I'd also encourage you with this, you know, there should be humility. Humility as we encounter godly people with whom we disagree. Paul doesn't look at Barnabas and say, oh, Barnabas, I I guess this just means you don't care about holiness like I do. I I guess I'm just the guy that cares about holiness. And Barnabas doesn't look look at Paul and say, oh, I guess I'm the guy who... Who believes in forgiveness? I mean, I don't know the gospel, unlike you do. Uh, that, that's not how they respond here. There's some humility, we would hope, as we think about this. Number three, third thing about these disagreements. Number three, sadly, these disagreements, because there's some incompatible understandings of how to apply Scripture, number three, these disagreements lead to irreconcilable differences for ministry efforts. These disagreements lead to irreconcilable differences for ministry efforts. You, you can't simultaneously take and not take John Mark. It's not a Schrodinger's cat situation or something. They, they, they can't do both things. Irreconcilable differences for ministry efforts happens here. Look, look at the first half of verse 39. Two, two parts of this first part, first, first sentence in verse 39 in the English Standard Version. It says, first of all, it says... And there arose a sharp disagreement. Uh, that, that word that's translated with the phrase sharp disagreement means, means rousing or, or, or stirring up. And it can be used negatively or it can be used positively. Uh, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, uses it positively in Hebrews 10.24 when it speaks of stirring up one another to love and good deeds. Now, negatively, it can mean a, a frustration or an irritation. And you can imagine Paul and Barnabas both being convinced that their position is the right position being frustrated at, at where they are in this relationship. It's a, I don't think it's necessarily due to a sinful conflict. Maybe that's a charitable reading, but it's more like there's distress at the situation. We're in this fallen world. We have two believers. We each want to obey the Lord and we can't do it together. 
And so it says, the second half of verse 30, of that sentence at the beginning of verse 39, so is such a sharp disagreement, they couldn't come to a conclusion, so that they, they separated from one another. No amount of compromise is going to bridge the gap here between these two positions. Let me give you some thoughts here about this separation as we think about it in, in our church contexts. Five thoughts I'd encourage you to think through when you think you may have reached a point with, a, with an individual where you can no longer do ministry together or a church where you feel like, okay, I, I need to leave this church. It's not leaving the church to go do another ministry. That, that can happen all the time, but I need to leave this church because th- these disagreements can't be, can't be dealt with or uh, leading, leaving a, a partnership with, a, with another person. Some, someone asked me after church, again, I've been preaching through this. Someone asked me after church, like, uh, this doesn't apply to spouses, right? You can't say, well, I guess we just have come to an irreconcilable difference. And we need to part ways. No. Okay. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about in, in ministry efforts in a church context. We, we have to part ways. What are some things to think through here? Here are five. Number one, notice this. The decision to separate is not made lightly. The, the decision to separate is not made lightly. This is, a, this is a time of intense disagreement and conversation. They don't just say, well, you go your way, I'll go my way. That's kind of how it is. <laughs> Whenever I was a youth pastor, uh, I, I was a very young, I was young even for a youth pastor when I became a youth pastor at, at Bethany uh, Baptist Church. And I can remember one time I made, I made kind of a, a bad decision and it, it offended a family or something. And so the, the family decided to leave the church and uh, the senior pastor, you know, my boss is talking to me about this. And I'm like, hey, I guess it's just one of those Acts 15 situations. They go their way and we go ours. You know, he's like, no, 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 no. No, that's not. Acts 15 isn't just, nah, you know what? You have this opinion. I did something stupid. I guess we'll just part ways. No, this is a, it's a big deal. You don't enter into this lightly. Christ desires his people to be in one accord. And you think about the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And remember what Jesus says. He says, uh, he says, I want them all, let me start a verse earlier. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a unity that exists and should exist between believers in Christ's church that is a, a proclamation to the world of our, our gospel witness in unity. We're, we're reflecting the unity that exists within the within the triune God we worship. And as you and I are, are separating ways and having conflict and can't do ministry together, that's not the testimony we need to be proclaiming. The decision to separate from other believers is not one to be taken lightly. A, a second thing to think about, the decision to separate is driven by a desire to please the Lord and not ourselves. So oftentimes, whenever we decide, okay, I think I need to leave this relationship. I can't do ministry with this person anymore. It's driven by a desire to, to say, I, I want to do things my way. And this person doesn't allow me to, to do the things my way that I desire them to do. This is driven by Paul and Barnabas by a desire to, to please the Lord. And they've come to a point where they say, look, I cannot honor what I believe God has called me to do and, and be in this relationship with you in this ministry. And the other person says the same thing. It's not entered into lightly. 
I was talking with a pastor recently who'd had to uh, part ministry ways with another pastor with whom he'd been in a close relationship for many, many years. And, and it's just, you talked with him, you just, there was no excitement in that decision, right? It was, but it was driven by desire to say, look, I have to please the Lord. That, that brings me to the third thing to think about. The decision to separate is, is, is sad. This is a sad thing. This is a sad thing. Think about what Paul and Barnabas have been through together. I may get some of the chapters wrong, but I think it's in, in Acts chapter 9 where Paul comes to Jerusalem and everyone's afraid of this, this murderer, Paul. And who is it that welcomes him into the church? It's Barnabas. Barnabas is the guy that welcomes Paul into this, this ministry, this relationship. And I think it's in Acts chapter 11 where the, this church in Antioch is started. And Barnabas, what does he do? He goes and he grabs Paul and he brings them, in, brings him into this. And they spend, uh, I think like a year and a half or so together, or some, some period of time where they're, they're strengthening the church. And then they go on this missionary trip together and they've endured all. And now these two who have been through so much together come to this part where they have to go separate ways. It's, it's sad. Another thing to think about here fourth, it's, it's, it's temporary, you know, we're not burning bridges. We recognize, okay, you're a person committed to the glory of God. I'm a person committed to the glory of God. This is, a, this is a temporary thing for right now. And then another thing to notice, a fifth thing to notice here as we think about disagreements leading to irreconcilable differences. A fifth thing is the decisions to, to separate is accompanied by godly relational commitments, right? We're committing, as we sometimes have to, to go separate ways in ministry, we're committing to to be godly in how we speak about one another and how we think about one another, what we say to other people about each other. It's interesting how discreet Luke is when he deals with disagreements. It's hard to to see what Luke's opinion is about what's taking place here, but but he's careful, and the church is careful in this situation, and that, that carefulness prevents further rift. Hearts are grieved as we think about Christians sometimes talking with others about those with whom they disagree. They, they're the false teachers or liars or, or whatever. And we have to be very careful with our words. And the world is, is fallen and we grieve appropriately as we see divisions in Christ's church. Now here's the fourth, things about, fourth thing about these types of, of disagreements. We've seen that these disagreements occur between believers who share a common goal. They occur between believers who have biblically informed but incompatible understandings of how to achieve that common goal. And then these disagreements lead to irreconcilable differences. And then the fourth thing, these disagreements, and, and this should give us hope, these disagreements do not prevent believers from pursuing God-glorifying ministries. So it's a sad thing. It's taken place. But but the, the beauty of God's grace is that even though this disagreement has taken place, it doesn't prevent either Barnabas or Paul from pursuing God-glorifying ministry, does it? It says Barnabas, this is uh, the last part of verse 39, Barnabas took Mark with him, sells away to Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas, he departs, and he's commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he goes through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas goes to Cyprus with John Mark. Barnabas is from Cyprus. Maybe uh, John Mark has some relatives there as well. And what happens in Cyprus? Presumably great things. They strengthen these believers. And then you know what great things God does through Paul 
and Silas. In God's grace, they go far beyond what their original intent was, and, and they, they end up evangelizing far beyond what Paul had expected them to do. God does incredible things, and, and he provides them with the, with the perfect companions. As, as close in Bar, as Barnabas and Saul, as Barnabas and Paul were, Silas is just the traveling partner needed in this work. He's competent. He's at the point of his life where he can endure suffering. He's a Roman citizen. So Paul and Silas are going to do some things that maybe Barnabas and Paul couldn't have done. Now, does this mean that conflict is inevitable? And when we see God do great things through us, we say, well, I guess that proves I was right and the other person was wrong. No, of course not. Uh, Paul can't look at what he accomplishes and say, "See, see Barnabas, God used me, so you were wrong. And Barnabas can't look at Paul and say, well, Barnabas, uh, or Barnabas can't look at Paul and say, well, Paul, you suffered a lot in, in that trip. And so got thrown into prisons. So obviously I was right and you were wrong. That's, that's not how we approach this. What, what we believe and are confident of is this, that people who desperately want to glorify God are ultimately going to do so by his grace, despite our mistakes. If our passion, our desire is to glorify God in our life and ministries, even as we make mistakes, even as, as we do some things that are perhaps wrong interpretations of what God wants us to do, God is going to be gracious. It used to really uh, deeply bother me when, when people would leave Bethany Community Church, uh, new senior pastor especially, and People would come to the church, and then they would leave the church, and you just just you would think, okay, well, what did I do wrong? You know, I, I told someone once, I said it's like being in high school and having a girl break up with you every week. You know, uh, which I guess also happened to me. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I just kidding. I couldn't get a girl to go out with them every week, uh, and I married my high school sweetheart anyway, so uh, that worked out. It's tough, right? It's tough when you see people leave, leave the church. And, and it used to, again, just deeply bother me. And, and I, I came to the point where I realized, okay, um, at, the longer I was, I was in ministry and the longer I saw people be at Bethany and then leave Bethany and see God do amazing things in their life, it gave me a great deal more confidence in God and much less confidence in, in myself. And to say, you know what, God has a plan in, in these things. He has a different and ultimately has a better purpose for, for someone at another place. And the reality is this. Someday, there, there's a family who, who left because our worship was, was too peppy. You know, Someday in eternity, we're going to be worshiping together and, and singing the same song, right? Amen. At the same tempo, probably. And, and the family who left because we weren't peppy enough, they're also going to be there, right? Amen, yeah. amen. Many in our church, you know, uh, we, we've, we've come to this conviction, you know, we've come to this conviction that God is not going to fail. God is going to use his people where he does. And, and there's, there's tremendous hope here. There's tremendous hope as we think about these, these ways in which God uses people. Isaiah 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, 
giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall, God says, my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is going to accomplish his, pur- his purpose with his people who desire to pursue his glory. And then that brings me to the last thing I want us to think about. The fifth thing here. These types of disagreements don't mean the end of, of shared relationship and ministry. This is not the end. Paul and Barnabas are restored relationally. As Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he, he talks about Paul, uh, Paul talks about Barnabas' ministry and his partnership. Paul and John Mark are restored relationally. Mark is with Paul when he writes Philemon. He calls Mark his dear son in 1 Peter. And his opinion of Mark is, is quite high when in 2 Timothy, the end of the epistle, he says this, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Amen. Here's the beauty of, of the gospel. And here's the beauty of how God works in his church. As people are, are passionately pursuing God's purpose and his glory, even at times where there are sharp disagreements, we recognize that the timeline of the, the Christian life is, is long if God grants length to our lives. And so th- there have been many times where, okay, at, at some point in, in some moment of ministry, there was a parting of ways. And then I've seen over and over again, God in his grace causes different people to go different ways and pursue his glory. And then lo and behold, they're, they're brought back together again in ministry long-term relationships with brothers and sisters in christ is god is 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 gracious as as god brings people back together Uh, in fact as as i was talking about this uh this passage last week at bethany community church uh, someone came up to me and said uh and, and sometimes God brings us back. There's a family to come back to, to Bethany uh, Community Church uh, by, by God's grace. Here's, here's the reality. We don't know the completion of God's story with us. God is still sanctifying us, right? And we don't know the end of the story of someone else that God is working in. And we certainly don't know the end of God's story that's shared with us and other believers. So with that in mind, here's, here's four encouragements I would give you as we prepare to close here. Uh, number one, be humble, right? Be humble. You say, well, I have this disagreement with another believer, and that other believer is no Barnabas. But the reality is, we're no Paul, right? So we need to be humble as we encounter these types of disagreements. Uh, second, we need to be hopeful. We need to be hopeful. And our hope isn't in our ability to convince someone else that we're right and, and they're wrong. Our hope is in that God is going to continue to sustain us in the ministries to which he's called us. And as we pursue God and his glory, our, our hope is ultimately in Christ and the gospel. And that's certainly what happens here in Acts. And the thir- third thing, to, to just be gracious, right? Be gracious. We're going to be, God says, judge we want to judge others by the measure we want to be judged. And so think about my own imperfections in ministry and the wrong decisions that I've made that I was convinced were right at the time. I I want to be judged by a very gracious standard. And so we want to do that as well. We want to be forgetful. (laughs) We want to be forgetful in conflict. 
one time I, I was in the hospital and I was visiting someone in the hospital and uh, heard about someone else who was in the hospital from Bethany and so I, or that, had, that I'd known at one time. And so I went in their room and, and visited, I had a great conversation with them and I was leaving. I, I called the church and I said, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I was visiting so-and-so in, in the hospital and there was just kind of a pause on the end of the line. They said, well, don't you remember why they left the church? Nope. Don't remember. So the secretary reminded me, remember this, this terrible conflict? I'm, nope, totally forgot about it, right? And by God's grace, there was a relationship. Because I had visited in the hospital, there was this, this restoration of relationship, and I ended up uh, continuing a relationship with him. So just, just be forgetful, right? Be forgetful can be a very helpful thing in ministry and life. And be expectant, right? Be expectant. Be expectant that God is going to do his work, that eternity is coming, and that as we're faithful to commit ourselves to pursuing the Great Commission, that God is going to work within his church. God will be glorified. His church is strengthened as we persevere in faithfulness, even in the midst of disagreements with brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for your gospel. We're grateful to you for this, this story of, of two people who love you, who enter in this time of disagreement. And we, we pray that you and your grace would help us I'm, I'm confident this morning there are those who are hurting as they are experiencing the loss of, of fellowship with someone they love. I pray that you'd help them to persevere and continue to love them and continue to pursue your glory. I, I pray that by your grace you'd restore relationships as, as people seek you first and foremost. I pray that you'd help us to, to be humble. Where we are able to, help us to prefer one another. Help us to, to lay down our lives day after day. Uh, for the sake of those whom you've entrusted to relationship with us, where we have the ability to help us to give all that we have to help others know and love you. Help us also to be rock solid in our commitment to your gospel, to be unswavering in our commitment to the truth of faith alone in your son, Jesus Christ alone, by your grace alone, revealed in your word alone. And help us to live our lives godly, uh, to, to be holy in our pursuit of the gospel witness. And then, Father, where there are these other areas, we, we pray that you give us wisdom. We pray expectantly for eternity, recognizing that all of us are going to worship you with perfection, not because of our own righteousness, because of the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, given to us through faith. We pray this in his name. Amen.